How many of you guys have been liking our summer sessions? Well, yeah, come on, look. It, it's awesome. I think, I think what's so great about being a part of Northwood Church, my name is Casey, I'm part of the pastoral team here. So we got eight communicators who love God, who love this church, and uh, who every week are praying about what they're going to be saying and, and, pray, and, and praying and prepping and preaching and, and going all about. And so we got eight communicators here that are rotating at our four locations. And so if you're a guest with us today, if you're watching online, we've been praying for you guys. We're in a, we're in a series right now called Summer Sessions, and we're so glad that you made it out today. Let's give it up for all of our guests, everybody. But we have eight communicators, and um, I just happen to be one of those eight. And so today's my day right here at our Gulfport location. Again, four locations, Gulfport, Ocean Springs, Wiggins, and Long Beach. And uh, so here we are. I'm excited. I don't know about you. And, uh, you know, when you think about the church all you can think about is the people, not the structure. It's not about the structure, it's all about the people. And uh, so we're one big collective, uh, the body of Christ, and uh, God commands us to come together like this to encourage one another, to warn one another, to admonish one another, to stir one another to good works and a life of faithfulness, and I need that just as much as you. Come on, somebody. And uh, so that's why we're here today. And uh, so I, I hope I can encourage you a little bit. I tell you, we're a great place to receive encouragement, uh, not only gathering together here on Sunday mornings, but every week during our semester of groups here. Now, we meet in small groups from uh, uh, house to house in different locations in the spring and in the fall. And uh, so we're already anticipating our fall semester of groups coming up. And I wanna take just a moment to honor all of our group leaders in the house. Let's give it up for all of our group leaders who lead, who pray, who prepare. And uh, I've received great encouragement in smaller groups of people. And if you've been a trainee or if you've led in the past and, and God is inspiring you to lead this upcoming semester, you can sign up uh, at northwood.church forward slash groups and uh, be a part of the group team here uh, at Northwood Church. Actually, our group's director here at our Gulfport location is one of our teaching pastors, Scott Hill, and his wife, Lauren, they're right there. Let's give it up for Scott. He's the guy that's big and good looking and he has a nice goatee. So if you have any questions about groups today, I didn't want to mention his bald head, but anyways, um, <laughs> you can talk to him and he'll give you some information. All right, you guys ready? So, you know, my legend is Jonah. That's why I wore a sh shirt with sailboats on it because, you know, I'll be talking about Jonah today. So I'm trying to be thematic. No, I'm just kidding. It was just a shirt that was clean. It happened to have sailboats on it. We're talking about Jonah. How many of you have heard about Jonah before? Okay, most of you. And, and a lot of times when you think about Jonah, you're associating Jonah with another creature called a big fish or a whale. Is that what you guys think about when you think about Jonah? Yeah, everybody thinks about Jonah and the whale. And uh, I'm here to tell you that the whale is not the main character of the story today. We'll talk about uh, a few characters like Jonah, the Ninevites, the big fish, and God. But the, but the main objective is, is not the great fish. But as we get started, I want to go into the New Testament just for a moment and pick up where Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. And we're going to get into this story here. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, talking about Jesus, saying, teacher, you know, they're already, always testing Jesus, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And, you know, we're like that today, like we need a sign from God. You know, we are asking for signs. And these guys show us a sign, but they were mocking God. They were mocking Jesus and his deity. In verse 39, and he answered them, and he said, an evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, what I think is amazing here is there's not a lot of historical characters that you're gonna see in the life of Christ throughout his teachings, but Jonah was one of them. And so Jesus was accrediting the historical story of Jonah. 
And now the reason I say that is because a lot of people, and maybe even still today, have been debating for years and years and years whether this was actually a true story that Jonah got swallowed up by a big fish. And there's been debates. Is it a story? Is it just an example? Is it an illustration, right? It, what, what, what is this? Well, I'm here to tell you that Jesus... He went ahead and accredited the historical nature of the entire story of Jonah. So we believe in the story of Jonah. And, uh, you know, if we believe in a God who was raised from the dead, right, and sits at the right hand of the Father and created the universe and created every living thing and created every biological system, it's not very hard to believe that he sent a fish to swallow up a little guy in the ocean. I mean, come on, somebody. How small is our faith, right? And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find out a little bit more about this great fish and about Jonah. But Jesus, he carries on in his teaching. In verse 40, it says, for just as Jonah, now this is amazing because he's tying himself in here and he's tying in the gospel. He said, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, he's still telling the teachers, the scribes, the Pharisees, who understood the Old Testament and the law and the story of Jonah. And then what he said here is, is, is riveting. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, remember me telling you that the Ninevites were one of the characters that we're going to be talking about today. And the Ninevites is where Jonah was sent to. Now, Jonah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he was speaking in behalf of God. And God was sending him to the Ninevites to warn them. And Jesus is referring back to them. In verse 42, he says, The queen of the south will rise up at judgment with this generation talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And so Jesus steps on the scene and says, there's someone greater than the prophet Jonah. There, there's someone greater than the queen of the south. My name is Jesus. I'm the alpha and the omega. And, and I, as, just as Jonah was buried in the well, so I'll be buried in the earth and rise up again. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's proclaiming the power of God and is calling to the cross to be buried and then resurrected a, again. And so this is a big deal. They hated him for that. You know, the book of Jonah really is like a chapter in the Bible that drives the Scripture's overall plot line forward. The reason we say that is because we see Jesus tying in the story of Jonah to the cross, to his burial, the, 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 the new covenant, if you would. And, and, and it teaches us to look ahead to how God saved the world through the one who called himself the ultimate Jonah, so that, when he, so that he could be both the justifier and be the just one for those who believe. Only when we readers fully grasp this gospel will we be neither cruel exploiters like the Ninevites, and we're going to hear more about that, nor pharisaical believers like Jonah, but rather spirit-changed Christ-like men and women. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is alive that your spirit is real, that God, you know the intricate details of every person in this room, every person who's watching online. And God, you want to have your way in our lives, God. And we, we submit to that. We submit to the transformation that happens as we yield ourselves to your word, God, so that we can become more like you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. The big theme of the book of Jonah is the Lord is a God of boundless compassion, not just for us, but also for them. And we're going to see that in Jonah chapter 1. But also, as we get into this story, think about it this way. The, 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 you know, when you're, when you're reading the Bible, there's theological reflection, right? I mean, you're reading the Bible for what it is. Maybe you're studying a little bit, and you're trying to find out what the big idea is, right? You're trying to, to say, God, what are you trying to stay, say here? 
And, and for today, it's to see and understand the compassionate character of God. And, and then when we see that in the story of Jonah, then it just moves us to a place of self-reflection. And, and I think that's a great way to read our Bible, right? We have theological reflection. What, what is the truth saying? And then we, then we have self-reflection in the light of that truth. And, and for us today is how do I reflect that character that we see in God through the story of Jonah? Jonah chapter one, verse one, God speaking to Jonah the prophet, and he said, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. It's a tongue twister, isn't it? So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He gets this word from God. How many of you are like, Jonah, you get this word from God and it say, go west, and sure enough, you're going east. Me and my wife have a funny thing going on now. You know, we, 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 we like to watch some comedies together, and one of them's Dumb and Dumber. You remember when Dumb and Dumber, one of them went to sleep, and the other one took the wrong exit? If you've ever seen Dumb and Dumber, you know what I'm talking about. And they drove the wrong way for a long time, and sometimes we're like that. So point number one, you can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> Think about that. You can run, but you can't hide. You know, running is not trusting in the Lord. When, when we're running from what we believe God is calling us to, ultimately what we're saying is we don't trust the Lord, right? Or we don't have a full understanding yet, or we're just operating in our human state. Now, a lot of people like to pick on Jonah, you know what I mean, because he's running from God. And a lot of preachers talk about that. You're running from God. You're like Jonah, you know what I mean? And a storm's coming. I don't know about that. I think that's bad theology. We're gonna find out that Jonah was a little bit human, just like all of us, and he had a good reason to run. <laughs> Some of us don't have good reasons to run, but, but he had a real good reason to run. I don't think he believed that God could be trusted. I think he heard God, but I just don't believe that God could be trusted. I think he began to buy into the lie, and it's the same lie we see in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and the serpent tricked them and said, hey, God said you can't eat of this fruit, that you'll surely die. That's not true, you can eat it, you know what I mean? You, basically, you can't trust what God said is good for you. You can't trust where God's leading you, right? And, and, and people get into this thing and, and, and they get detoured in life. But God is still the God in the detour, everybody. You know what I mean? That's why I said, you can run, but you can't hide. The psalmist said, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. If, if, if I make my bed there, you're there. Because you're all powerful and you're all knowing and you're in control and you're sovereign. But running is not trusting and a lot of times we hear that lie, we can't trust God or he doesn't love us. And a lot of times that is amplified typically in our life when we're tired, when we're burned out, when tragedy hits, right? When a trial comes, when another trial comes, when you don't seem like you can get on top, right? That's when those lies start beginning to become louder and louder and louder in the valley. And I think that's what was happening to Jonah. Let me give you some interesting facts. Remember me telling you that Jonah had a good reason to run? <laughs> let, 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 me, let, me tell you, let me tell you a little bit about what was going on. So God sent Jonah to go to the Ninevites and prophesy destruction, but warned them that they're basically a way out, that God, God, God's concerned with them. Now, a, several years before God tells Jonah this, there was a prophet another prophet accredited by God by the name of Nahum. And Nahum had prophesied years before that God was actually going to destroy Nineveh, right? 
And, and Jonah was aware of this. And, and, and that, you know, I would imagine he would say, wouldn't a successful mission to Nineveh only destroy God's own promises he made to Israel and actually prove Nahum as a false prophet? Think about that. Wow, that right there is like, man, do, you know, God, are you sure you know what you're doing? You know what I mean? Let's, let's add on another interesting fact about Jonah, uh, some of the reasons why he was running. It was even more shocking that the God of Israel would want to warn Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, of impending doom. Why would God want to do that? Because Assyria was actually one of the most cruelest and most violent empires of that time, or even in ancient times, some scholars say. It's a bad place. Assyrian kings often recorded their results of their military victories, gloating over whole plains of littered corpses and of cities burned completely to the ground. That's where I'm sending you. How many of you excited about that word from God? I was thinking about that when I was preaching. A lot of times, I don't know if people have the facade of preaching and, or whatever, or even the trap that maybe other preachers could fall into, but sometimes you, you feel like, yeah, you, you've got the word of God in your preaching, so you're, you're gonna feel like you're moving in power because you're preaching the gospel. I, I'm here to tell you that I don't think Jonah felt very powerful at all. <laughs> Go to the Assyrian Empire. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about the Assyrians. Maybe if you're not running yet, maybe you're saying, oh, I'd do that. After capturing enemies, now we're going to move into a little bit of mature rating here. After capturing enemies, the Assyrians would typically cut off their legs, will cut off their legs and, and one arm. So they cut off both the legs. This is what they were practiced, by the way. Cut off both legs of their enemies, cut off one arm. So now you, you, you get the picture, right? No legs, one arm. Pretty bad scene, especially after you hack, hack those off, you know what I mean? They're bleeding to death. I mean, but they left one arm while they were still alive and, and a hand so that they could shake the, the victim's hand in mockery as he was bleeding out. This was part of their practice. Go to the king there of Assyria, Jonah. I, people hated these people, by the way. Probably some of their relatives have been chopped to pieces. You gonna be real happy? You want doom, right? Come on, somebody. I guess everybody in here is not normal. I want doom. I don't know about you. You chop down one of my, my fellow mates, I'm gonna wanna chop you down. You got anybody else like that in the room? I know you guys are holier than I am. Pray for me, you know what I mean? <laughs> Everybody's gonna have their own test in the day, right? It's like Nacho Libre, I want a taste of the glory. <laughs> I wanna see what it tastes like. It don't taste good but it's good for you and it's good for God. But you can see what type of people these people were, right? They forced, this is what they did. They forced friends and family members to parade with the decapitated heads of their loved ones on elevated poles. Now, I told the Wiggins location, you know what I mean, because I'm up in, you know, big country, or I said, they're gonna have to kill me before they do that, and every, stand in ovation. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Right? They forced family and friends to parade decapitated heads on their loved ones as a show while they ate and drank and, and enjoyed the show. Come on, think about this. They pulled out prisoners' tongues and stretched their loved ones out on their stretchers with ropes and then began to fillet them. And then they put their skins on the city walls. Right, you're starting to get the picture a little bit. Go to Nineveh, Jonah. How many of you are excited for Jonah? You're not picking on Jonah so much anymore, are you? They burned adolescents alive. And those who survived the destruction of their cities were fated to endure cruel and violent forms of slavery. The Assyrians have been called by historians and people of that time the terrorist state. Jonah, I think, imagined that this was a death sentence for him. A death sentence. And I think he wrestled with that word. You know, I think about Jesus because he related himself to Jonah, but he said, I'm greater than Jonah. And when God called him 
to suffer. It says that he wrestled in the garden and it was so stressful that the capillaries bursted in his head and he sweat drops of blood in anguish. I, 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 think it's, it, I, I think that there was some spiritual warfare going on in the life of Jonah. I think there was some struggle going on in the life of Jonah. Now this is a drastic story, but it's, 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 it's teaching us something that's bigger. And you know, right there where you are, a lot of times God's gonna ask you to do things that you don't really wanna do. Sometimes we think that the things that God's called us to do is like this very perfect painted puzzle and it's oh so beautiful. And when I just find my perfected place and I slide right into that puzzle, everything's gonna be wonderful and everything's gonna be anointed and everything's gonna be good because I'm in alignment with God. Well, that's not what it looked like for Jonah. He was running. And, 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 and I'm just telling you that today because a lot of times we have this fabrication of what life's supposed to be like, right? Come on, somebody. Jonah figured it was a death sentence. He was running. God was calling him to prophesy that doom is coming unless you repent to the Assyrians, man, these people. You know that, what that tells us about the character of God? That God's love for people is limitless. God's love for people is limitless. Our love is limited. It's okay to admit that, by the way. Your love for people is limited. My love for people is limited. My love for you is limited. But when I attach myself to Christ, my love is unlimited because I'm in his love. And, and God's love for people is limitless and God will call you to do things you don't want to do. And God will call you to forgive people you don't want to forgive. You remember, we're looking at a bigger storyline here. We're looking at the gospel. The gospel is not only for them, not only for us, but it's also for them, right? What a story. So this is where Jonah is when God tells him to go to that great city that metropolitan cultural hub and prophesy to the Assyrian king in that kingdom. This is where Jonah is. He takes off for Tarshish. Now, this place is like the ends of the earth. What's the very, very tip down there in Louisiana, down past Sulphur, way on down there, Grand Isle, something like that? <laughs> the ends of the earth, you know what I'm talking about. Jonah went to Grand Isle. Now, I was thinking about this story and I couldn't help because we were talking about a boat. Jonah does get on a boat here in a minute because he goes down to Grand Isle and he jumps on that, you know, barge, you know what I'm talking about, because he's going to go offshore and he's going to take off from God. You know, I was kind of like Jonah. In 1999, uh, there was a, my mom and dad got saved and a lot of you heard the story, but they started doing group in their house, small group, and they'd be praying and, and they'd be praying for me. I was on the top of the prayer list. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, people fasted for me and uh, literally prayed for me, people in this church. And it's incredible because God began to work in my life. And I remember uh, going to my mom's house one time and they had a group going on and they had their Bibles out. And uh, I don't know, I had something in the house and I had to go get it. And I just went in there and they had some little shutters in there and you could see over the shutters where they're having group. And I just lowered down below the shutters and got my stuff and took off, you know what I'm talking about? And I, I was living the party life and I was, I, I was just, you know, in the clubs doing all that kind of crazy stuff, you know what I'm talking about, just crazy. And then all of a sudden I said, I got to get off the grid, I gotta go. And so I took a job offshore and I brought this big blue uh, bag that my dad had gave me because he was in the Navy as a Vietnam veteran, big sea bag. And I loaded that thing down with stuff, and uh, I don't know how this happened, but I happened to be grabbing some stuff at my dad's place at the time. My mom and dad were separated at the time, and he was living in another place. And uh, he was going to bring me down to uh, Houma, Louisiana, and then they were going to bring me down to Sulphur, and I was going to get on a pipeline or barge. And uh, for whatever reason, when I was a little bitty kid, my mom brought me to a, uh, a VBS or something, and they gave me one of those little black Bibles with the gold lettering with your name on it. Anybody remember those? I had one, never opened it. I don't know. It was just in the bookshelf. You know what I'm talking about. 
But I looked down at that little black Bible, and I threw it in my bag, and then I went down to home, and my dad dropped me off, and they took off. Then that night, we drove down to Sulphur, Louisiana, and I got into a, a pipeline or barge, and I was in a room with about eight guys, and uh, in about midnight or so, they came in and woke us up and said, hey, Mr. Stokes, you got to get off of this barge, and uh, we're sending you to Galveston. You're going to take a van to Houston, you're going to go down to Galveston, and we're going to fly you in a chopper way down to international waters, and I said, pick another number. I'm not interested, you know what I mean? Matter of fact, I want to kill you right now, you know? I'm not very happy that you woke me up. And I, I probably had that type of attitude, for sure I did. I don't know why I did, I, I, I just said, fine, I'll go. I don't know. I grabbed my bag, I jumped in the van, they brought me down to uh, uh, Galveston, and I mean to uh, uh, Houston, then we went to Galveston, and I was out in this big boatyard, and there were some sailors right there. I'm going to pick up the storyline here in just a minute, it's going to tie in, don't worry. <laughs> there's some guys in a boat and you know what I did I went down into that boat now we're about to read that Jonah went down in the boat in Tarshish and he took off I went down into this boat and they, in the middle of the night I don't know these guys from nowhere but they let me in the boat I was probably the fool I didn't wake up with one less kidney anyway you know what I'm talking about <laughs> but I went down into this boat and then they woke me up about three or four in the morning and said we got to go so I got out the boat, I went to the helicopter landing pad, the company man showed up, he threw me a big newspaper about that thick, it was the Houston Chronicle, and he said, carry that for me, boy. He said, yes, sir. So I got in the chopper, we flew about 45 minutes south, I got out on this little bitty old platform, and I got into the front door of the kitchen, and when I opened the door, a little cook short little Cajun cook, looked me in the eyes and said, I've been dreaming about you, and I know you brought that little black Bible in your bag. I said, I'm gonna kill this guy too. <laughs> True story. True story. I walked back out of the door onto the, right outside the kitchen, there was these steel grates and it was about, I don't know, 50 foot in the air and you could see the, the we call them scud missiles, it was the barracudas and not this little ones, the giant barracudas. We used to take five gallon buckets of slop with watermelon in it and threw it over and by the time it hits the water, it was just dust. You know what I'm talking about? I said, I'm throwing him off. <laughs> Anyways, I thought it was really strange and uh, it really got me thinking. And so that, that I went back in there, talked to him, and he said, you ought to read that Bible. It was the next night, I mean the next day, because I worked the graveyard shift, I opened the Bible up. I remember opening it up to the book of Psalms. And at this time, you gotta remember, my mom and dad who were separated, they got saved. I was in the streets, they'd been fasting and praying for me. I was a wild man, crazy man. All of a sudden, I find myself in the big, uh, barge. Now all of a sudden I'm in, 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 in an oil field. I open up and a strange man says, you got a Bible in your bag. I open that Bible up and I remember reading out of the book of Psalms and this is what God spoke to me. I know where you are. You're going to live and you're not going to die and I've got a, a purpose for you. And man, Everything changed. Yeah. You know, I didn't, you know, the reason I get a little bit emotional, because, you know, sometimes what we, what we, look, we know God is real. Just walk out and look at the trees. My goodness, you know what I mean? But a lot of times we don't realize that God still works in those intricate details of your life. And that's what was happening to Jonah he gets in a boat, he heads out. Let's pick back up the story. It's a, it's a tremendous story, you know what I mean? By the way, I know I leave a lot of people hanging in stories sometimes. The truth is, I got back off that oil rig, and I went out again like three weeks later, decided to go out and they bring you to another location. It's not the same location. Guess who was on that next location? Same dude. Same dude. Strange dude, by the way, strange. You're going to need a strange person to talk to me about Jesus. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I got back off the, 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 the next trip I was out. I said, I'm not going back out. And my dad invited me to a men's meeting in building number three. We were one location. And in the 1999 year 2000, I gave my life to Christ. And so that, that's the end of that. But, 
God's love for people is limitless. And, and Jonah takes off, right? He said, man, I'm not, I, I'm not going to this place called Nineveh. You're crazy, basically. I'm not doing it. I'm leaving. And so he goes down to, you know what I mean, way down there. You know what I'm talking about, South Louisiana. He gets on a barge, and, and uh, he's got some sailors in there. And uh, all of a sudden, there's a major storm. Jonah's on the boat. There's a major storm. Uh, and and so, the, so the sailors started casting lots to determine who calls this evil to come upon them. Paul's right there. A lot of times when storms come, we, we, we ask ourselves what calls this evil to come upon us, and then we can begin to blame ourselves as if something we did wrong has now made a major storm. Now, you can make bad choices, but then all of a sudden you start thinking God's cursing you. Dangerous place, everybody. A little side note. But the sailors cast lot to determine who calls the evil to come upon them. That, that's what the pagans did at that time. And casting lots was used a lot in the ancient world to discern the divine will. It was a practice that they did. But the Israelites, who Jonah was an Israelite, the people of the one true God, believed that God actually controlled those outcomes. And so they picked straws, and guess who the lot fell on? Jonah. The lot fell on Jonah. And now typically in that particular era, what those guys would do right away when the lot fell on you is what? Throw you overboard. They kill you. They're gonna kill you. You're done. There are no questions asked. You're going overboard. You're dead. But the guys didn't do that. And the reason why I say that is because Jonah asked them to throw him overboard. All right, this is where we're gonna pick up on the whale. I know you guys have been waiting for this moment. Jonah essentially was committing suicide. He said, I don't want anything to do with this. The storm's here, it's because of me. I'm running from God, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm gonna kill myself. Suicide's real. He jumps off the boat. Today is my day of death. I'm finished. I don't have to worry with this anymore. I call Jonah the mad prophet. I'm done. He jumps off the board. I mean, jumps off the, I don't guess they had a diving board, but. <laughs> they probably did have one of those little things, you know, they get that spear on you and get you down to the edge. <laughs> Tie some sandbags to your legs. But uh, he jumps overboard, commits suicide, but God wasn't done with him yet. Because just when Jonah thought he was finished, God sent a great fish and swallowed Jonah up. The, Lord, the, the Bible actually says the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah up. He said, nah, you're not going to die today, son. I want to talk to you more about the Ninevites. I'm thinking, man, isn't there a bunch of other prophets you got to see in the fish God? Let the dude die. What's so special about Jonah? I don't know. Because you're going to see at the end of the story, Jonah's like me and you. And the Lord appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. Interesting fact is those, those pagan sailors who were drawing straws, by the time they threw Jonah overboard in the storm, they, the, the Bible says they were praying to Jonah's God. They say, man, this, something's going on here. And he gets swallowed up by the fish, Jonah does, and then he prays a prayer in the belly of fish. Now, I think we'd all be praying if we were up in a fish. Come on, somebody. And, and, and you know, I do like to correlate things. There's a lot of you there in the belly of a fish right now through a major trial. And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, verse one in chapter two, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Man, you know what I say? Desperation leads to contemplation. You know, you're gonna find yourselves in seasons of de desperation in this lifetime if you live long enough. And this desperation leads to contemplation, contemplating our faith, contemplating our theology. What do I really believe now? That I'm being tested in a major way. My faith is being tested in a major way. What do I really believe? Uh, what, what do I really believe about my life right now? I'm sure Jonah started thinking about his life in that belly. Come on, somebody. What, what, what do I think about my decisions? What, what am I thinking about my heart? 
And then we begin to seek God for those answers. And guess what? God hears our prayers. God hears your prayers. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep confessing. Even when you don't understand, still I will confess truth. Still I will worship you. We talked about it today, right? We've got a call to worship. Whether we want to or not, we're going we're gonna to stand and say, God, you're, all, you're almighty, you're, you're great. You, and, and God hears that. How do we know? We look at Jonah right here, verse 10. It says, then the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out upon dry, dry land. Your ride's over, Jonah. Guess what happened after that? Jonah spit out by the fish, then the word of the Lord came again. Verse one, chapter three. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Our assignment from God doesn't change. Our assignment from God doesn't change. You know, what's amazing to me, literally, is that God, God's infinite patience with a human being, for whatever reason, God wanted to use Jonah. Uh, we don't know those answers. God decided to use Jonah, and even though Jonah was going to run from God, commit suicide, God still was patient with Jonah, saved him from himself, <laughs> You know, God who saves him from, our, from ourselves, Save, saves him from himself, and, and, and then reorients him, spits him back out, and says, now, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city. I mean, dude, I don't know what's going on with his mind, but it's, it's, a, it's a tough place to be in the life of Jonah. I wouldn't want to be Jonah. How about you? But we are like Jonah. And Jonah actually got up. And I'm sure he didn't come in there with fiery preaching and boldness and confidence. I'm sure he walked in and just said, hey, you guys are going to die if you don't repent. And he thought, surely they ain't going to repent. Don't repent and let them die. I don't know. He might have not been very eloquent. He might have not spent a lot of time. He might have been running saying the message. I don't know. <laughs> but he went. We know he went. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 6, it says, the word reached the king of Nineveh. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne. This is that evil nation that I just spoke about. You know what I'm talking about? He arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth. And he sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles... Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. We're going on a fast, a purification fast. Some of you need to do that, right? Let neither man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? I love this guy's attitude. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Wow. You know, our obedience is greater than our understanding. And, and I think that's what was happening in Jonah. Jonah's understanding was very limited, just like ours is. We see through a dim glass, right? We see, we see through a dim glass. We're like Moses a lot of times. Moses walked with God, and yet he still didn't see clearly everything and understand everything. And he was asking God to show me your face, God. Show me your face. Is this you, God? Are you leading me here? Are you directing me here? What is your word, Lord? And, and, and he said, I'll just show you my backside, Moses, because no, no flesh can glory in my presence. You don't have the capacity in this form to know everything. You would surely die there's a place called eternity that we're going where a glorified state 
a glorified body will will know more things. And it's supposed to be great, right? That's what the Bible declares to us. But our obedience is greater than our understanding. And a lot of times when we're obeying God, we have no clue the domino effect that is going to happen uh, in our life. We have no clue what obedience will do. You know, after I gave my life to Christ, I preached to every person I came in contact with. And uh, very intensely, you know what I mean? Very in your face, very, not, not unlovingly, very passionate, very like genuine, you know, not a Pharisee, you know, not, no, I'm talking like, man, let me tell you what God did in my life. I mean, you know, like genuine. And, and uh, I remember one time I was uh, at a gas station and I felt that the Lord had pressed upon my heart to go talk to this person about Jesus. Well, I didn't do it and I left. I got down, there was a gas station down here on the corner of O'Neill Road, and I got down here to the church and I pulled into the parking lot and it was so strong on me that I had to turn around and go back and I, and I went back as fast as I could and the guy was gone. Three days later, I got a call that he had OD'd. Now, I could have said, well, you know, is it my fault, God, and all that, and, 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 and it wasn't my fault. And, and, and I didn't uh, walk in condemnation from that, but I did walk in a, a greater level of awareness. And I said, my God, I don't understand what my obedience particularly can do in an individual's life. And so fast forward a couple years, I was in a fish store. Me and my wife, we got married. I was in a fish store. I had the bright idea that I would put an aquarium in the house. You know what I mean? And so I started shopping aquariums. And I, don't, I don't know why. And I thought it'd be really cool. You know what I mean? And I didn't realize how much work it is to have coral and all that kind of stuff. And anyway, so we're browsing in a fish store. And uh, all of a sudden, I see a guy down there looking at fish. And I recognize this guy from the rave scene in the 90s that I was a part of. And, um, you know, he wore different disguises and stuff at raves. And he was in bad things. And he, he, he did a lot of bad things. He dealt drugs and stuff like that. And uh, he would change disguises all the time. And I, and I remember seeing this guy. I said, I, I know that guy. I know that guy, you know what I mean? I could just tell it was that guy, whether he had a wig on, a glasses, a nose. I knew it was that guy, and, and, I, and I knew who he was. And, and, and I went over there, and I went right behind him, and I called him by name. And, you know, it bugged the dude out, you know what I'm talking about? He's paranoid, you know what I'm saying? He's like, and, uh, and, and, and I began to share my testimony with the guy. And I shared my testimony, and I walked out. And that was it. Me and my wife got back in the car. I said, I can't believe I can't believe I saw this guy in this fish store. I mean, last time I saw that guy was like at a State Palace Theater in New Orleans or something. I mean, I was like, where does this guy come from? In a fish store right here in Gulfport on Pass Road. Well, I had another friend that I was preaching the gospel to, and he ended up going to a penitentiary. And um, he went to penitentiary, and uh, he was there for a couple years, and I had been preaching the gospel to him, preaching the gospel to him. He was there for a couple years, and then he was leaving because they were tr I'm trying to get the story right. He was leaving because he was being transferred to another place, another penitentiary or whatever. And as he was leaving, the gentleman that I spoke to in the fish store, now th this is like five, six years later from that fish, store, fish aquarium uh, incident, and uh, the gentleman was sitting there reading a Bible, the guy in the fish store, and he called my friend over to him because he knew him too. He said, hey, hey, come over here, man. He recognized him in the line. He said, come over here, come over here. He started showing him the Bible. He said, at this time, there was a guy named Casey who shared with me the gospel and I refused. And, it, and it's too late for me now, but it's not too late for you. But he was, he was sharing the gospel in, in prison. Who knows what he's doing? I had no clue. I had no clue the, 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 what that uh, could do in a person's life till six years later when I'm talking to my friend and he mentions to me when he was moving from one penitentiary to the next, there was a guy who had a Bible and he said, when you get out, you got to talk to the guy named Casey. Our obedience is greater than our understanding. Now, I'm trying to encourage you guys because we're the body of Christ and we have an assignment from God that doesn't change. And we're here, you don't have to be perfect. I, was, I, I still ain't perfect, everybody, and I'm up here preaching. You ain't got me no perfect to share the gospel to people. I, God is equipping his church 
to go out and do the great commission lest we be lulled to sleep. Come on, somebody. And so we're stirring ourselves up. I'm stirring myself up. You know what I'm talking about. I'm remembering my testimony. I'm remembering that the gospel is not only for me, it's for them as well. And, 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 and Lord, we need you to, to awaken that in us because our obedience is greater than our understanding. You know, the story of Jonah is amazing. You know, Jesus, you know, when he's teaching about Jonah, you know, another account of his teaching is found in, in the Gospel of Luke. And in verse 29, it says, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Verse 31, the queen of the south will rise up at judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now this is a, this is a stout statement right here. Verse 32, the men of Nineveh, the people that repented on Jonah's preaching, this evil Generation, He said, the men of Nineveh, he's talking to the Pharisees. This is strong, guys. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Ultimately, what he's saying is, you're not repenting and I'm here. I'm the one that you've been looking for. I'm the one that the Old Testament points to. I'm the one that the scriptures display that you so intently study. I'm it and I'm here. And basically what he was saying is our response to truth will affect our eternity. Our response from, to truth, our response to the compassion of Christ will affect our eternity. Bow your heads with me just for a moment. You know, as you're meditating upon the Lord right now and his, and his word and, and the message that you just heard, our theological, I'm gonna bring you back to our theological reflection is the compassion of God to an evil generation. Our self-reflection is our character being transformed into that image to be light, to be salt, and to be bearers of this truth. But first we have to realize that truth for ourselves. We're an evil generation. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in need of a savior. We're like the people of Nineveh. And Jesus the prophet has come and he's saying repent. And repentance is so positive, and repentance is so life-giving, and repentance is so gratifying because God calls us to it. It's a part of his love being displayed to us. Think about that just for a moment in your own life. God's infinite love for you, his limitless love for you. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that's the gospel paid the price that we couldn't pay. Made a way where there seems to be no way. And grafted us in to where we were no longer and no longer alienated from the covenants, the covenant of God, the promises of God. We've been grafted in, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ and we're part of the vine now. We're children of God. But some of you in the room right now you're like the Ninevites, and, and God has brought his word to you today, right there online, right there in this room, and you know today's your day of salvation. Today's the day where you're turning to God. Think about that just for a moment. As you're meditating, I'm gonna read the last part of Jonah. Just keep your eyes closed. You see the beautiful story of God's love and his patience even with Jonah teaching him about his love. 
You know, Jonah preached, and in chapter four, verse one, it says, it, even after they repented, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country before I even left? This is why I made haste and left, for I knew that you are a gracious God, there it is, and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. There he is again, you know what I mean? Kill me. The Lord kept working with Jonah and he said, and the Lord told him, he said, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he, to, to, to he should see what would become of the city. He's still thinking it might be destroyed after all that. I think he wanted it to be destroyed. He sat under that, he sat there in the shade because God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. This is amazing here, listen. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that there was, that made him faint. And he asked to die again. He asked to die again, excuse me. <clears throat> he asked to die again. This guy is in a bad place. He's in torment. And God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. I don't know where you are right now. Maybe you're angry like Jonah. And here's what the Lord said. You pity the plant for which you did not labor that shaded you, nor did you make it grow, nor which you, you had any part of it being in the night or you had any part of it perishing. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? That's you, right there online, right there in this room. God loves you dearly. Some of you are, might be like Jonah and, and, and you've been struggling in what you're called to do and God loves you dearly. But we're gonna give you an opportunity right now to repent. And so if that's you right there online or right there in this room, just say, Lord, I surrender. God, I believe that you died on a cross and rose again. Jesus, I thank you that you paid the price that I couldn't pay. And I thank you that your love is for me just like it was for the Ninevites. God, thank you for saving me and calling me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.